Word and turn with me to Judges, chapter 13. Judges 13, and I just want to say a big thanks to everybody who helped us move uh, on Saturday and Tuesday. <laughs> Everything got to the house. Valerie was unpacking some things yesterday, and she said, so far, nothing's broke. <laughs> and so uh, three cheers for everybody for that. And uh, it was really a blessing to see everybody out there. And it was, uh, it was especially nice to see the four or five guys that helped us carry in the piano. And uh, we were trying to decide where to put it, you know, or different spots. And uh, I said, well, we could stick it in the basement. And all those guys <laughs> said, wherever you want, we'll put it down there. And uh, it was very, a, very, a very gracious gesture, I thought, because uh, I would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> Better Christians than me. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for that. And uh, um, and everybody's been so kind to us and helping meet all of our needs, advice, uh, phone calls. Just your friendship and love has been, has been really great. And, uh, uh, you know, giving people, you guys are fun to, fun to be with. And uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad to be here with you guys and my family is too. And uh, God bless you all for it. And I hope the Lord will give us uh, many wonderful years together of joy and happiness. Amen? Amen. And that when we get out of joint with each other, that we will be quick to make amends, amen? That we'll just say, hey, I'm a little upset, and let's, uh, let's work it out and go forward together by the grace of God and for his glory. Let's look at Judges chapter 13. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read some portions of this passage, but not for a while. I want to give you a sermon this morning about Samson, a man of faith, or Samson, a man of God. Samson, if you know the story, I'll just briefly recount it to you. Samson was a man who was born in the time of the judges. His mother and father were a couple who could not have children. They were of the tribe of Dan. They were unable to give birth. So the years that they were married as they came together as man and wife, they were not able to conceive a child. This becomes a burdensome thing to people who want to have children. After a while, an angel from the Lord appeared. And this the words angel of the Lord here looks like this might be an Old Testament Christophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ in an angelic form. Now, I'm not going to get into debates about uh, the angel connection to Jesus and that kind of thing. There's some interesting things to think about. But here he is a messenger from the Lord. He comes to this couple and he says, you're going to have a child. And they're kind of scared by this. The wife, he appears to the wife, and the wife is very scared. And she goes to her husband and says, this guy, this, this, this angel appeared and said, we're going to have a child. And the, and the father, he's like, how come you didn't get more instructions? <laughs> you didn't get enough information. And said, let's pray and see if he'll come back. And so they do pray, and he does come back. And the angel says that this child is going to be a Nazarite. If you want to know about the Nazarite vows, you can look at Numbers chapter number 6, and you can read about the, all the regulations concerning being a Nazarite. They had a very strict diet, and they had to have a very particular hairstyle. They, the Nazarite was never permitted to cut their hair, never permitted to cut their hair. They began by shaving the head, and then the whole time they were under a vow, they let their hair grow. And Samson is born into that kind of a family. He is dedicated to the Lord from his, from his youth. And by the end of chapter 13, the Bible says the Lord is blessing him, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Samson is beginning to be moved to do different things. Now, exactly what this means, this moving, is, is uncertain to me, but you can see that God is working in this young man in a special way. In chapter number 14, Samson gets to looking around, and he decides he wants to find himself a wife. 
And the Bible says he sees a, a girl in the valley of Timnath. I'm used to saying Timnath. That's what the authorized version says. Timnath, a girl down in Timnath. She's a Philistine. And the Israelites, they didn't tend to marry outside the, the tribes. But this girl's a Gentile, and he's smitten with her. He comes to his parents, and he says, Mom and Dad, I want to get that girl to be my wife. And they say, like all parents, no, you don't. <laughs> And they try to discourage him from that. But if you look at uh, chapter 14, I think it is verse, uh, verse 14 maybe. Not verse 14. Verse 4. His parents don't want them, him to have her. But verse 4 says his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time they were ruling over Israel. So Samson's desire is a part of God's plan. Something they don't expect, they don't understand, and that's what happens. Well, Samson's parents, they, they do. They make a deal. They, may, they, may, they set up the marriage, and Samson, he ends up marrying this girl. At the wedding feast, uh, the, as the custom was, the, the family picks some people to celebrate the wedding with him, some men. They, uh, the, the bride's family chooses 30 men for his entourage. And Samson, he had killed a lion a few days before, and he had... Uh, killed the lion, and then as he's passing back by the lion later on, some bees had, uh, had made honey inside the lion, which tells us it had been quite some time. <laughs> been, takes a long time to do that. But he came by the lion, and he found some honey there, and he took the honey from the carcass of the lion, and uh, he gave it to his parents, and then he had this riddle. And at the marriage feast, he tells a riddle to his friends, and he says, Hey, guys, uh, if you can figure out my riddle, I'll give you 30 sets of clothes if if you can't figure it out, then you'll have to give me 30 sets of clothes. Well, at the wedding feast, these guys, they can't figure it out, and they start to panic because they have to pony up some cash to buy these clothes, and they're a little bit worried about it. And so they come to Samson's new wife, and they say, Look, get the answer from Samson, or we're going to burn your house down with you and your dad in it. Well, this causes her a little bit of stress. And she goes to Samson, and she says, Samson, please tell me the riddle. And he says, I haven't even told my mom or my dad the, the answer to this riddle, so I'm not telling you. And so she cries and moans and does the things that she needs to do to get him to tell the answer. And so he tells the answer. Well, she runs right out and tells the other guys because she doesn't want to get killed. Can you blame her? You're supposed to say no. <laughs> Talking about staying alive, right? I mean, I want to live. So she runs out and she tells the friends and, and they come back to, to Samson on the last day of the feast. I can see them all, these 30 guys kind of strutting up to Samson and they give the answer to the riddle. And Samson gets anger and he says these poetic words in Scripture, if you had not plowed with my heifer... <laughs> You would not have figured this out. And so uh, he leaves. He goes down to Ashkelon. He gets down to Ashkelon. And it, fascinatingly enough, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And he subdues 30 guys and takes their clothes and takes them back and get and pays his gambling debts. So I guess the Lord can help you pay your gambling debts if you have them. Although we hope that you don't. Amen? <clears throat> well, Samson's... Story goes from there. The Bible says that this causes a, a big uproar. He goes back to uh, he goes back to his uh, father-in-law, his new father-in-law's house, a new father-in-law. Uh, uh, 
Samson is very angry, and he leaves, and he goes back to his mom and dad's house, and his father-in-law gives his new wife to somebody else to be a wife, and after a while, Samson goes back and finds out that uh, the, wife's, that the wife's been given to somebody else, and uh, he's upset about that, and so he says, I'm going to take revenge on the Philistines. He catches 300 foxes. He ties their tails together, puts fire between their tails, and lets the, lets the foxes run through the fields and burns up all the Philistines' crops. This causes the Philistines to be kind of upset with uh, the father-in-law who gave the daughter, who gave the wife of Samson away. It's starting to sound like Jerry Springer up here. So <laughs> he gives it away. And so these Philistines, they come and they're angry and they burn down the house. They kill Samson's wife and his father-in-law. And, and then Samson gets mad and ends up, he kills a whole bunch of them. <laughs> Long story short. After he kills a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey, the Bible says that he rules over Israel for 20 years. So you have the, 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 the controversy regarding the marriage. Then you have 20 years of Samson leading, ruling over Israel, judging Israel. And then you have the, the most famous part of the story, David, not David. Who are we talking about? Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah. Chapter 16 begins with Samson. His wife has been dead for 20 years. Sam- Chapter 16, verse 1 says that Samson goes down and visits a prostitute. He sees a prostitute. He goes down and he pays the wage and does it. And they do the thing that prostitutes and, and their clients do. Then he leaves. He comes back to the same town. And he sees a woman named Delilah who he falls in love with. And you guys know the story, right? Delilah says, Tell me the secret of what? Every strength. He tells her a few stretchers, doesn't he? He lies to her a few times. Finally, 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 he gets her to tell him the, the truth. He says, it's my hair. She falls, uh, he falls asleep on her lap, and she shaves his head. And then the Philistines come, and they capture Samson. He doesn't realize that the Holy Spirit has departed from him. He's captured. And what do the Philistines do to Samson? What do they do to him? They, uh, they capture him, and they, what, do they, what do they do? They, they poke out his eyes. Then they put him in, in, a, in, a, in a grindery, in a mill, and he grinds grain like, a, like, a, like an animal, just going round and round and round, blind. But Scripture says his hair begins to grow, and so the Philistines, they put on a big party, and they're going to celebrate and give worship and give praise to Dagon, their God, because their God gave them victory over God's servant, Samson. They bring Samson in, and they laugh at him, they mock him, they make fun of him, and Samson, who's now blind, he says to the person who brought him in, help me find the center pillars of this great tabernacle of worship. And Samson goes, puts his hands on the pillars. And Samson, the blind, the blind guy, the blind prisoner, he puts his hands on the pillars and he prays, Lord, avenge me of my two eyes in this moment, basically. And Samson, by the Holy Spirit's power, pushes out those center columns. The whole temple falls down and crushes and kills more Philistines that day than Samson ever killed in his life. And that's, that's a brief telling of the story of Samson. Let's be dismissed. Amen? Say, <laughs> so we just got here. I know. Among Christians, I'm going to take my coat off. I'm sorry, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling too good. I felt bad all week, and then I was going to take some cold medicine last night, but I, I didn't do it because I thought I'd be kind of in a fog if I took it, and I feel like I'm in a fog now. So, anyway, if I say anything that's not true, 
Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, in the words of Willy Wonka, strike that, reverse it. <laughs> Among Christians, Samson is often looked down on because of his errors. Have you ever heard a sermon said, be like Samson? I haven't either. You're about to hear one, though. <laughs> I myself have given sermons that use Samson as a role model to avoid because we tend to focus on the negatives in his life. We focus on his errors. But let's look at him again in the light of a scripture from the New Testament. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to hear what God's Word says about Samson in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter number 11, where we find mention of a man named Enoch. We find mention of Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the patriarchs. In chapter 11, verse 32, the writer says, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice. Now, there is, in Hebrews 11, Samson's name. Samson? The visitor of prostitutes? Samson, the man who breaks his covenant? Samson? Are you kidding me? Why is he in there? We've always said, don't be like Samson. But there is God saying, Samson's a man of faith. A man of faith. Samson, the bad role model. Let's remember three things about God's servants. Now, this is not the sermon. This is just about God's servants. First of all, all of God's servants are capable of really rotten attitudes and actions because even though they are born again, they're still sinners. Read 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 about David and his sin with Bathsheba. Mind-blowing stuff. Mind-blowing stuff. Look at any of God's servants long enough and you'll see it. Look at any of them long enough and you'll see it. If you want to know about imperfections by the multitude, ask my wife about mine. Actually, don't ask my wife about mine. Just take my word for it. <laughs> Imperfections. I lived in the house of a Baptist preacher. My dad is a Baptist pastor. I lived in that world. I know what it's like. My dad got mad and threw wrenches just like you do when things didn't go well. I can remember, we're, I'm not going to tell you that story because <laughs> my dad might listen to this, that sermon <laughs> later on. If you, you look at some, you stare at somebody long enough, you'll find imperfections. You'll find them. Number two, but that's no excuse for you or me. We are to be actively pursuing Christ-likeness. We are going to mess up. We're going to fail, but we should be actively pursuing Christ-likeness. And just because you look over and say, well, brother so-and-so don't do that, brother so-and-so said this, or sister so-and-so behaves that way, that is no excuse for you. To him that knows to do good and does not do it, to that person, it is sin. If you know the right thing to do, do the right thing. If you know to do it, it's no excuse. You could, you could read about that in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
verses 11 through 25, where Peter says to all the Christians, pursue holiness. Do what is right. He has a very long list there, which we won't look at. Number three, thank God that he does not only use perfect people in his service. Amen? He doesn't have to have a perfect person. You may be sitting here and you may be thinking, I could never be anything for God because I'm not good enough. Not true. Not true. God uses imperfect vessels to create beautiful things. God uses flawed people because we're all flawed. If God only used perfect people, there would be no work done at all in the world. We often think of the Apostle Paul as an example of a wonderful, great Christian man, and he was. But the Apostle Paul was also very stubborn. If you read the book of Acts, his first imprisonment takes place because of his pig-headedness. God warns him over and over again, do not go to Jerusalem, do not take that vow, do not, do not, do not. And what does Paul do? I'm going there anyway. Just like you and me sometimes. God puts up stop signs in our path and says, stop, stop, stop. Turn, turn, turn. We just keep on driving straight ahead. And he hits the wall. You say, well, how can you say that about Paul? Because while Paul's in prison, the Lord appears to Paul in a vision and says, Paul, don't worry, I'm not done with you. (laughs) Even though you have really messed it up, I'm still going to do something with you. And God does do great things with the Apostle Paul. Now, I want to give you five things about our friend Samson. Five things about our friend Samson. First of all, he has a special birth. Only Jesus, John the Baptist, and Samson had their conceptions foretold by an angel. Only Jesus, John the Baptist, and Samson. That puts him in rare company, which tells us he is not, he's not, he's not ordinary. He's extraordinary. He is a special servant of God. That's a prestigious group to be in. Christ himself comes in an angelic form and says to his mother and father, you're going to have a son, and he is going to be a deliverer of his people. That's the second thing. Samson had a special special mission. He is a deliverer. He is a man sent from God to set the captives free. And in that message, Samson is a picture. He is a type of Jesus Christ. Because Matthew 121, the angel comes to Joseph and Mary and says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Samson came into the world to be the deliverer of Israel from the Philistines. And my friends, that is what Christ has come in the world to do to deliver you from your sins. Samson's a type of Christ, a special birth, a special announcement, a special mission in this man. Number three, Samson has a special spirit. The Bible tells us as we read his story that he does all these mighty works because he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is a thing called meekness. Meekness. Now, meekness is power under restraint. You ever met somebody who's meek? Let me say it like this. Have you ever met a gentle giant? One of those men that has great power and strength who could just crush you? Just, just, you know, just, just a powerful being. But he's as gentle as a lamb. He's very meek. My friends, don't mistake meekness for weakness. Meekness is not weakness. 
Jesus Christ was a meek man, but did he have great power? Moses, the meekest man to ever live. Moses, a great man of power and intelligence. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Well, Samson's Holy Spirit presence obviously had to create meekness because Samson's been given this great mission to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But there has to be a provocation to cause him to act. And that's what you see in chapter 14, verse 4. If you, if you wonder why Samson's marriage to this Philistine girl takes place, it's because he had to have a reason to go against the Philistines. He was meek. He could put up with a lot of stuff, but he had to have the right provocation. And that's what, I think that's what it means in verse 4. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. God brings something into Samson's life to stir him up, to cause him to act. I can say this from my own Christian life. That if you'd have told me when I was 14 years old, when I was 15 years old, that I would be a Baptist preacher in a church someday, I probably would have punched you in the eye. Because there is nothing in the world I did not want to be more than a preacher. I did not want to be in this business at all. But God began to do something in my life to provoke me to want to do it. I can say this to you. I'll say this carefully. Moving from where we lived in Oklahoma was not something that I really wanted to do either to come to northern Michigan. I was talking to one of the sisters in their church before the service. We were, we were kind of whining together about wintertime. <laughs> <laughs> I've told all my friends, if I disappear, I'm in Phoenix. But now I've disappeared, and guess where I am? The opposite of Phoenix. (laughs) But in order to get me out of Oklahoma, the Lord had to do several things to provoke me to want to go. Because I was determined to stay. Come hell or high water, I was going to stay. But God began to do things in my life that caused me to want to get out of there, to make me want to go to Michigan. Northern Michigan. (laughs) God does things. He provokes us. He he did this in Samson's life. He's taking Samson along the path of his choosing. That's why it says in, in Proverbs and in Jeremiah, it is not in man to know his own way. We think we have designed all these things, but God is working behind the scenes, superintending the outcomes of our life. Samson wants this woman... His parents say no, but the Lord wants him to have it. So these events will take place. The events surrounding, excuse me, this woman, that is what causes Samson to wage his own private, personal war of vengeance against the Philistines. That's because of this woman. It is through this painful circumstance that God uses Samson to deliver Israel from the tyranny of the Philistines. At least that's how I take that passage to me. My friend, I want you to understand that God will do whatever it takes to move you forward in his service too. God will do things in your life. It is only God who can create hunger and thirst in you for salvation. 
The Bible says in John 3 that men hate darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. But then something happens and Christians don't hate light anymore. They begin to hate the darkness. What makes that change? What causes them to change? What causes a teenage boy or a teenage girl who sits in church and hates every minute of it to change into a firebrand for Jesus? What, they just get smart all of a sudden? The Holy Spirit does it. What takes cold-hearted Christians and sets them on fire? It is God's power. God alone can create these things. That's why you and I, when we are praying, have you ever thought about this? When we pray, we're saying, Lord, save so-and-so. We're asking Him to do something that we cannot do. We're asking Him to change their mind and their hearts and their wills. Why do we ask Him to do it? Because only He can do it. Only God can do it. So we pray, Lord, save, Lord, heal, Lord, help, Lord, instruct me and guide me. We do that because only he can do it. Because he has all power. He is almighty. He is all glorious. Now, the fourth thing about our friend Samson is there's a special sentence. It's in chapter 15, verse 20. The Bible says this. Listen to the reading. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. How long does Samson serve as God's servant judging over Israel? 20 years. 20 years he keeps them free. 20 years the widowed warrior leads Israel. 20 years. 20 years of moving through Israel with the impunity 20 years, don't miss it in chapter 16, verse 1. He walks right into Gaza, which is the chief stronghold of the Philistines. Without a fear, he walks right into their city and just kind of owns the place. He moves without fear for 20 years. God's servant, God's ruler, God's man. No one would dare touch him. You see, even the Philistines, they won't even dare come touch, try to, get after Samson until they think he's lost his great power. They're afraid of him. For 20 years he's lived this way. For 20 years he's served God. May all of us have a 20-year period like this. May we all have long periods of uninterrupted service for the Lord. 20 years. 20 years. It's a long time, isn't it? Unless you've been married to Valerie, it's just a brief time. 20 years. It's a long time. 20 years. May God raise up in this church men who will serve this congregation until 2041. Amen? Who's going to raise them up? Me? <laughs> you? Only God. Pray that God would raise up men and women to serve in this church, to lead this church forward for generations to come. 20 years. May God create in all of you young people, those of you who are teenagers, who are trying to make some of the most important decisions in your life while you have the least experience and wisdom. It, that, that's what's hard about being a teenager. 
Everybody says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for your life? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> I just want to get out of high school, <laughs> get my mom off my back. That's all I want to do. What are you going to do? I don't, and you say, well, I don't know. Well, you need to figure it out. It's difficult. What I can say is say one thing to you, teenagers. Right now, decide you're going to serve God. You will never, never regret that. Nobody lies on their deathbed and says, I gave God too much. Begin to serve the Lord. You say, well, I don't want to be a pastor or a missionary. I'm not saying that. I'm saying just serve the Lord in your church. Serve the Lord in your school. You say, well, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the kid handing out tracks in the hallway. I'm not saying that. Go down there to your school and your college, wherever you're going to go, and just be a decent human being. And when somebody says, hey, what's different about you? Say, Jesus. You don't have to have these laws. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. Just simply point people to Christ. Because your friends are going to come to you in some moment of crisis, just like they come to us. Our friends come to us. I, I was at work one time in a cabinet shop, and I was making cabinets. And I was working with this guy. I was not making cabinets. That's an overstatement. <laughs> I cut pieces of wood that somebody else made cabinets out of. <laughs> I'm not a skilled craftsman. But this guy, who was, his name was, I called him Kevin the Dopehead. Because every day, he was out there doing dope. I mean, he just, he was a dopehead. There was, we worked, where we worked at had no drug test, and so that's why he worked there. <clears throat> and I had my Bible, you know, I'd read my Bible at my machine over there. I'd take a break, read my Bible, and do different stuff, you know, just regular Christian stuff. And one day, he came over to me, and he said, Terry, he said, can you pray with me? And I said, Why? <laughs> He said, I'm worried about, the guy that owned the company was named Mr. Wheeler. Mr. Wheeler had a heart attack. And uh, Kevin loved Mr. Wheeler. I did not like Mr. Wheeler, but Kevin loved him. And he came to me and he said, he said Kevin, he said, he, he said, Kevin said, Terry, can we pray with, can you, will you pray with me for Mr. Wheeler that the Lord will heal him? And I said, okay. And so we prayed together. And I said, Lord, please help Mr. Wheeler. Please give him strength and healing to his body. And Kevin, and Kevin he cried, you know, praying and, I just thought it was the drugs. And we said amen, and he went back. And after that, every time he had a problem, guess who he came and found? Me. You know, he, he, he knew where a Christian was. He just sought me out. And that's the way it is. You just, go, you just go into your job and your place. Just be a good worker. Do the right thing and just, and just love people, and they'll come and find you. They'll seek you out. You don't have to go down there and walk around with a T-shirt that says Jesus saves, although that wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Just, young people, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. If you put Christ in the center of your life for the next 20 years, just what a difference that'll make. Christ in the center of your life from age 15 to 35. Wow. Put Christ there. 20 years. Samson. Reigns over Israel for 20 years, but that's all we and but we we gloss over that because we're so distracted by what happens in chapter 16. That's the fifth thing. There's a special fall into sin and final victory. A special fall. Samson, at the end of his life here, he falls into sins. This should be a lesson to us that 
All we remember about Samson is his fall at the end. I pray God will help me to make it all the way through to the end without falling. Amen? And you too. It's only by God's grace we're going to make it all the way through. But this section of Samson's story tells us that if you do fall into sin, it doesn't mean that God is done with you. There will be, there'll be, there'll be discomfort, there will be sorrow, there will be pain, there will be difficulty, but it doesn't mean God is done with you. It doesn't mean that. Samson, at the end, falls into sin. In chapter 16, he is with the prostitute. Verse 4, he's with Delilah. The Bible doesn't say that Delilah is a prostitute, but that's kind of the inference here, that this is the kind of girl she is. This is why we think less of him, because in in this moment, after this dedicated time of service to the Lord, he caves in. Remember Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Protect your heart. You say, protect my heart. Well, it's a metaphor for your mind. Protect your mind. Recalibrate your thinking by the Scripture constantly. Really recalibrate your thinking by going to church and hearing God's Word taught and preached. You see, friends, we have to keep a watch over ourselves to the very end. You may say, well, I've been a Christian a long, long time, and I don't mess up anymore. (laughs) You knucklehead. (laughs) The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When I was a teenager, remember rollerblades? And me and me and me and my brother got rollerblades, and we had these rails we would jump on and slide. You know, do 180s and 360s and half pipes and all that stuff. What a. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But I remember we, we had this one real long pole at the, at the, by a liquor store. It was really long, about 30 feet long. And if you got it one end, you got up a good head of speed, you could jump up on it and slide the whole way down. And there was a whole bunch of girls down there, you know, at their cars. Because, you know, small, I, I, I live in a small town. In a small town on Friday nights, people would just cruise around or they would park in parking lots, you know, and, you know, talk about the Bible and pray. <laughs> Youth group met down there. <laughs> but there was a bunch of girls down there, and, you know, we're, we're and, and, you know, the girls were looking at you kind of weird because of what we were doing. And, and I was like, hey, watch this. And I, because I could do it. I jumped on that. I was sliding down that thing. And there's a trick. And you, you pull one foot up like this and you slide on one skate. And right as I did that, I looked over at the girls. And right in that moment, my right leg went whoop. And I hit right on that pipe on my thigh like that. And man, I started crying like a little girl. <laughs> I mean, it hurt, man. It hurt. And all the girls, did they come over and go, oh, poor baby? No. They laughed and laughed and laughed. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you begin to think that I'm bulletproof, nothing can get to me, you're going to slip up and you're going to fall. Better is to be of a humble spirit than to divide the spoil with the proud. Humility. Humility. Samson goes into this situation here with Delilah. He finally tells her the secret is the hair. The secret is not really the hair. The secret is God. The hair was just a symbol. 
The hair was just a symbol. But he, she cuts off his hair. He gets taken captive. They poke out his eyes. When they come to capture him, Samson, he has no strength. He's humbled because he has no strength. They poke out his eyes. He has no sight. He's blinded. They chain him to a wheel like an animal. Now he's a slave. He's God's servant, once ruler and master of the Philistines and Israel. And now look at him. His fall into sin has cost him dearly. Charles Spurgeon said this, Christians can never sin cheaply. They pay a heavy price for iniquity. Transgression destroys peace of mind, obscures fellowship with Jesus, hinders our prayers, and brings darkness over the soul. Therefore, be not the serf and bondman of sin. That's where you find Samson. He's chained up, but God is not done. Now let's read chapter 16, verses 23 through 31, and then we're going we're to be finished. Judges 16, 23 through 31. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who has laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might. Down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it, and thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. You see, God was not done with Samson. A fallen saint who cries out to a merciful God is heard and in his death is used again because God's love is greater than you can imagine and God's mercy is deeper than your sins. Fallen Christian, call out to him. Come back to him while you can. If you're not a Christian, God's mercy is extended to you too. For the same Lord over all is rich. He's abundant unto all that will call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we, we commit this sermon to your care. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing this final hymn before we have our communion time.